0: through the centuries, through the centuries, some of the most revered and priceless works of art have been focused on the events and the people in the Bible, most particularly on Jesus Christ. And um, one of my very favorite stories about art and about Jesus comes in a period of time where the greatest masters viewed their greatest works were related to Jesus Christ. And it brought out their highest and it, it brought out their, their very best. And they were honored to be able to do so. There was a, um, a sculptor who was quite well known in his day was very hesitant about taking on that assignment to make a sculpture of Christ. And he had some friends uh, and colleagues that really encouraged him to do that, but he, felt, he really felt unworthy to be able to do it. And uh, finally, he decided he would, he'd make, make, make that effort. Worked on it for a long time. And uh, one of his best friends and, and colleagues, fellow sculptor, came in to preview the work he viewed it, he walked around it, he looked at it carefully, and he, he, he was struck with this the awesome presence of something really great, which is what the, the image and the memory and the thought of Jesus really had, has elicited for us and people throughout the centuries. And so, uh, his, uh, his friend asked him, well, what do you think? in a humble way and his, his fellow sculptor went on to say, it's magnificent, it's incredible. It's the detail, the the the, 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 the polish on the stone, everything about it. But then he said, I've I got one question though. It's one thing I don't understand. You can't see the face of Jesus because the sculptor had uh, had made this image where Jesus had his head bowed sort of between his arms and his hands and his, uh, his friend said to him, no, you, you can see the face of Jesus, but to see his face, you must get on your knees. And that master captured in his art what every human being, all of us included in this room, need to capture as well to truly see Jesus to have eyes at sea we have to humble ourselves bow down and be on our knees humble yourself in the sight of the Lord Lord. humble yourself in in the sight of the Lord and he will live he will lift you up, so humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, humble the of the Lord. so humble yourself, the humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift Spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others insult you and persecute you and utter all kinds of false things against you on my behalf. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so your, uh, the prophets were treated before you. The Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. We've been spending a lot of weeks in the Sermon on the Mount, haven't we? And we're going to continue. The focus, however, not on the words, but on the Savior, on Jesus Christ himself. And whatever any of us at any moment in time are going through to focus our Jesus, fix our eyes on Jesus, is always the answer. And it will keep us from growing weary or faint-hearted, as the scriptures say. And it will keep us, you know, on point. And so, we're hoping in our worship, and it just has been that way this morning. It seems every time we're together, our worship lifts up Christ. Helps us to be humble before Him, but so appreciative, but keeps our eyes riveted and focused on Jesus Christ Himself. In, in these Beatitudes, we know we've heard it many times, that word for, that we translate blessed or blessed is actually the word happy, because there are a lot of things about this life that truly bring joy and that truly bring happiness. God seems to mix joy and sorrow, and you got to have that joy deep down inside, like we sang about, you know, before. But, you know, uh, God brings special blessings in our life, congratulations to the Browns, the ones I'm not related to who got married, you know, uh, yesterday. But I am uh, am related to this Brown, and uh, last, uh, yesterday, what a great joy for our family uh, to see uh, Kelly and I's son, Ryan, uh, engaged to Erica Fortina. It's exciting. And uh, I just want to thank, Kelly and I want to thank so much the, the, the village, the community of faith that, that helped raise, well, both of these younger people. Both of, uh, both of them, their families uh, became Christians in their younger years, their mom and dad and did their best to raise them. Um, they're they're wonderful disciples. My son, like me, has gone through a journey, and it hasn't been a straight up trajectory. But doing so well, and God has blessed them. And a special thanks, even though they're not here, uh, Ryan and Erica, and the Atkins and Reeses who've been there counselors through this process are in the East Cobb Sandy Springs House Church, you know, th- this morning. And so we'll miss them there, but. Uh, um, I invite you to rejoice with us, and to rejoice with you, because, because we truly are a family. Um, however, as—oh, I, I forgot that was there—greetings from the conference in Miami, Kelly and I were at. We were speaking there about the next generation, South America, Central America, uh, uh, the Caribbean. They were all there, and uh, they're leaders, and they send greetings. And so, why don't you say, how you doing, you know, great to know you guys. and. Uh, actually forgot I had that in there. Okay. Um, Yes, Sermon on the Mount. It's true, isn't it? We must unlearn what we've learned. Honestly, for a lot of us, for decades, and and we're swimming in this fish pond of, of a world that has a certain way of going about things, and Jesus turns them upside down, doesn't he? You know, once, um, you know, once again, in art, I remember back in the late 80s, uh, Steve Johnson and E. Sherwin Macintosh, as artists put together a, 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 a beautiful look into the book of Acts as a musical that sort of helped it make it come more alive. Do you remember, some of you? And you have these phrases that you'll always remember. Don't you dare! <laughs> these moments like that. In more recent times, The Chosen. It's a a, a production where where it's focused on the Gospels and the idea is to try to make Jesus more relatable and real and to think about what it might have been like in that time and many of us are enthralled with that and moved by that and, and it helps us focus on Jesus and think about what it might have been if we were in that situation and i encourage you, if you haven't discovered that yet, that'd be a wonderful thing. Uh, Keep reading your Bible, very important, (laughs) because whatever you're going through, you know, spending time in the Scripture, focusing in Jesus, is really the answer. But uh, thank you for those artists, you know, that God inspires to be able to help us take, uh, you know, take another look. Two weeks ago, Jeff played a clip leading, introducing the Sermon on the Mount and uh, it, was, it was something um, I call the map. Do you remember? As it relates to the sermon on the mount. And I'd like at this moment to kind of go back there in a very condensed way. And to be able to try to think, okay, what was it like? Because we're going to go into some teaching now. Beginning this morning. That you kind of want to fasten your seatbelts. On, but always remember, focus on Jesus. the map, it's how we find him, and in many ways find each other. Here we go. Matthew. Bye-bye. I've got it. The opening?: Yes. What is it? A map. The what? Directions. Where people should look to find me. Okay, give me a moment. are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth time to open up the map If you have a physical copy with you, or if you have it um, on your device, time to open up the map, because in so many ways, this is precisely, you know, accurate. The Sermon on the Mount, it's how you find Jesus. It's how you find his people. It's how you find truth, and it's inspiring and it's, it's very convicting. Jeff said a couple of times, I may even repeat it before we're done, that if in some time during this series, you don't become quite uncomfortable, then probably you're not paying attention because everybody is disciples and closest friends included. Felt quite awkward and uncomfortable and puzzled at many times during Jesus' ministry. But what, what did they need to do? Keep following him. Keep listening to him. Keep reading. God would reveal as they continued to move on and to trust him and to learn, you know, from him. I, uh, I'm calling, um, let's see if we can go back one. Okay, uh, we're calling this particular part of, uh, of the series, Sermon on the Mount, part six. Okay, that's quite creative, isn't it? Um, Jesus, amen. Fulfillment and authority. Now, I think what's helpful for us, if you've got your Bible open, if you turn to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, at the end of chapter seven, okay, it's going to introduce this in a great way, and you're going to see this play out in the few verses I'm going to focus on today and then help us think about as a backdrop for our continued study. Look in, uh, in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he, thought, he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. So there was definitely something about Jesus, not just that he was entertaining and that he made great points and that uh, all of the things that draw us to a speaker or charismatic or his, his lifestyle, all of those things, there was something about him. It was very different than any other religious teachers because he spoke and he, he commanded authority, and this is going to be a theme throughout the rest of the Sermon on the Mount and actually throughout the Scriptures. Now, you remember some things, you know, where this is said. When, uh, when Jesus, after he was baptized, both in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4, the, uh, the accounts are given that Jesus goes out and he starts preaching, and he starts healing people, a lot of people. There were massive crowds that started following Jesus. And it says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, as the Sermon on the Mount gets started, that the, there were so many people, the crowds were there, and Jesus went up on a mount or a hill and started to, to teach them. The word is really getting out there, and no doubt there are people in the crowd. They're not on, only wanting to hear his teaching, but they're wondering what are the next miracles? that I'm going to see because there are many if you want to look through that even leading up you know to this but a couple of verses that that catch my mind in Luke chapter 4 as it uh, Luke tells his story of this healing with the demon it says the people were amazed in 436 and said to each other what words are these with authority and power he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out and in Matthew chapter 8 or that, uh, uh, chapter 9 and verse 6 but so you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins he said to this paralytic get up pick up your mat and go home and when the crowd saw this they were awestruck awestruck and they said they gave glory to God who had given such authority to men I remember I got uh, any of you guys ever get something in the mail from where you went to college you know what ge- it's generally about. I got one this week. It said, congratulations, you graduated 50 years ago this year. I don't know if that's congratulations, condolences, you know, like what it is. Are you still alive and kicking, you know? But, and they, they all granted me the opportunity to support the alumni fund. Thank, thank you. Did I, did I mention what university it was? I'm not going to do it because we're in a downtrend, you know, right now. (laughs) But I remember when I was a freshman, 1969, in this university, I didn't go to church. Um, That wasn't the way I was raised. I I didn't like the lifestyle. I came once the first Sunday because I got invited by my roommate. And uh, you guys really scared me a little bit. And I was uncomfortable. All of you were singing. I wasn't. I mean, men were singing, and I wasn't. There were people starting to hug each other, and, it, it was, and, and there was some preaching that was very straightforward. In other words, not just telling stories. Although I thought that was a pretty good story at the beginning, but the whole sermon is not about a story. It, um, and so, I never came back, I've mentioned this before, until the day after I got baptized. Because that's just part of it. It's like when you get married, you get the in-laws, you know, and that sort of thing. You know, it comes with the package, okay? Whether you like church or not, Jesus loved the church, died for the church, calls it his bride. Okay, done. Okay, that settles it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love the church and try to feed the sheep just like Jesus said. Love one another as I have loved. I have loved you. But what did it for me had no inkling of wanting that lifestyle, or to be religious, or much less have to go out and talk to other people about God. But they got me, the guys in my dorm got me reading the Bible. And the parts I read, if you got the map open, if you're in chapter, if you're in chapter seven where where, you know, we did our last verse, and you start reading through chapter 8. I remember reading through these things, and where Jesus touches a leper, and he's healed immediately. And then there's a centurion who has so much faith, he says, hey, I got a sick servant. You don't even come to my house. Just say the words from here miles away, and he'll be healed. And it happened. And then it kept on going, and then we, we, we saw other miracles that were amazing, even to the point where there's a furious storm, Jesus is in a boat, and he gets up and he tells the storm to shut up. You'd like to do that with the weather sometimes, right? And the apostles, and disciples, it said, stood outside themselves. Who is this man? And that's what came at me, who is this guy, Tom? He's the only person on earth who is worth listening to and following to. Even though he challenges me and my attitudes and my heart and my priorities and all those other things, my morals to the core, that's what brought me into the kingdom. And I hope that's what brought you into the kingdom of God, Jesus, because it is the thing that keeps you there, no matter what happens, you know, in your no matter wh- what people or events or stuff hurts you, disappoints you, whatever, even your own self, your own frailties, focusing on jesus and his authority his power is unbelievable and you just don't ever want to stray away from that but now here's what happens in this passage i want us to be well if that wasn't up there there you go this is the passage we're focusing on a little bit you know right now okay what's going to happen here um you got to have the map open here, and um, you, uh, I think you got to get ready to, to put on your seatbelt, okay? Up to this point, it's been a nice sermon. It really has. It's some curious things that are said. There's some meaningful things that are said. Be the light. Be the salt. You know, the, the blessed of the morn, they're going to be comforted. I mean, these are things any probably teacher or rabbi could have said. It's not what got Jesus crucified. He didn't get crucified for saying, consider the lilies of the field, which you'll get to a little bit later on. But because of some of the things he's going to start articulating that will challenge his hearers, religious and otherwise, and will challenge us to the core, if indeed we're listening. Let's read this together in verse 17. Don't think I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth passes away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Now, I'm very, I, I, I'm, I'm very certain that there are a lot of people listening to that that were very puzzled And what is he talking about? particularly as he moves on. And if if, if you're a Jewish audience and you're listening to all of this, it can be a little confusing. Now, here's the thing that we all need to do and they needed to do. Just keep following Jesus. Keep listening to him. You'll understand it as you go along. But he's here to fulfill all of these things in the Old Testament and that these folks had believed and raised with their entire life. Here's um, here's something you gotta be able to think about. Up to this point— You know, when Jesus began his public ministry and the the crowd started pouring in and miracles were happening and people were, you know, his reputation was growing, his influence and popularity, it's it's growing. But he's going to correct here a fundamental misunderstanding and then he's going to basically blow our minds. Here's the understanding or the misunderstanding that some apparently were feeling that Jesus, uh, Jesus makes it really clear, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. He says, he says that explicitly. He's actually going to live them out perfectly for all the world to see. But now scholars and people that study this, and I will tell you, this is a passage, it, it, it is worthy of you studying you got to dig it, spend some time with this. There are many different thoughts about what he was saying or maybe not saying or what the people were hearing. It's, uh, it, it's really worthwhile. You're going to see some interesting things, you know, that are there. Jesus didn't go into all of that at that moment. He kept going, but we need to dig in a little bit. But apparently, scholars and others suggest that the background was that people were comparing Jesus' revolutionary life and his message, and they're comparing it with the scribes and the Pharisees, who were their leaders. And critics were charging that Jesus was abandoning the high standards of the Old Testament law. Which the scribes and the Pharisees obviously stood so firmly with. And we, 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 we understand this accusation because Jesus has some things where he has some flexibility on how they understood the Sabbath. And some of those traditions related to that. He, uh, he, he frequently spent time with tax collectors and sinners and uh, outcasts and those who were considered unclean. He was just very different the, the, the thoughts going around. Well, is, is he really respecting the law, the Old Testament? In this passage, Jesus stresses, very strong language by the way, that the divine authority of the Old Testament law as the Word of God, it, it will stand. It will stand until heaven and earth pass away, but until all is accomplished. And then he points to the consequences on people who relax. The commandments, or ignore them, or teach other people to ignore this. The idea, though, is Jesus' message. He's not trying to overthrow the Old Testament, but He's here to fulfill it, it's going to be fulfilled in Him. You're not going to understand it in that 30 seconds that he says those words, but when you follow him and continue along, and then for us, as we read through the entire Gospels and to the teachings to the young churches there in the epistles, it starts coming together exactly how all of this, you know, works. And um, you just got to keep on reading in these kinds of things. But I think we want to think about this for a minute. Uh, What Jesus is actually doing, he's bringing in himself the entirety of the scriptures, to their appointed goal. And it's to him. And it's more than just some prophecies that said this and that is going to happen to the Messiah. All of the law, all of the Old Testament is fulfilled in him and his life and his, his mission. And so he gets rid of these extremes. One that we ditch the Old Testament. There are certain megachurches even in this area that kind of, kind of, you know, really put the Old Testament kind of in the back drawer not really all that important that's really not where Jesus is going with this at all but he is bringing something new he is he's not going with the status quo either he's preaching God's kingdom the kingdom of God and in verse 20 Jesus here actually goes a little bit on the offensive and he's he's going to tell us that uh, the standards of the kingdom are actually far higher than those of of Judaism, that the heart and the spirit that was given in the law goes much deeper than just some of the rules and regulations that people relate to try to be able to keep it, and he phrases it by saying, "Your righteousness has got to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. Are you? Did you catch this? Never enter the kingdom of god that 's authority stuff that 's stuff that the ears are perking up on this. Who is this guy? To really be able to even say these kinds of things. And Jesus goes on even more than that. That uh, his understanding of, uh, of the law is more radical. It's more in- encompassing and demanding. His standard, verse 48, chapter 5, is perfection. Be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now before we end, I'll make a couple of comments about that. Because it's important to understand a bit of the context here. But as you continue to read on in the Sermon on the Mount, you truly got to buckle up because there's some real challenges that are here and Jesus is going to go into quite a lengthy period of time where he says it was said of old to you or the old commandments that an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, et etc. Et but I tell you, I say to you, and you just imagine how the scribes and the Pharisees are feeling about this. Okay, he, and, and Jesus isn't changing stuff. He's just going deeper about the heart and the spirit of this. And I'm not going to tread on other people's passages, you know, here, because we'll be digging in on it. One of my, my friends asked me a few weeks ago, uh, does North River preach much about sin? I said, well, I'm not sure what you mean by that, but buckle on up. We're into getting into Matthew chapter 5 okay and we're sure not gonna avoid it because take a look if your map is open just for example in verse 21 you heard that it was said to our ancestors do not murder everybody agrees with that and whoever murders will be subject to judgment everybody agree with that most laws in most countries agree with that but i tell you everyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to what judgment not murder, anger with your brother. And whoever says to his brother, fool, will be subject to the Sanhedrin. And whoever says, you moron, this is interesting translations, you know, here, <laughs> will be subject to hell fire. So if you're up here with a gift at the altar, right, you better get off your rear end there and go get reconciled with your brother and leave it there. Is that challenging? Yeah. That is not just challenging these people hearing it 2,000 years ago that but but it's 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 it's, and, and Jesus has authority here he's saying there's a new way to live in the kingdom and yeah it includes the beatitudes but I'm still talking here And he will continue through here some very challenging things, and you're going to see it again as you go through here in, uh, you know, both in, you know, in verse 21, he says, you've heard of old, but I say to you, verse 27, you've heard of old, but I say to you, verse 31, it's been said, but I tell you, verse 33, you've heard it said of old, but I tell you, verse 38, you've heard it was said, but I tell you, verse 43, you've heard it said, but I tell you. That's some challenging stuff. Leaving your gift at the altar, you angry with your brother, or sister, subject to judgment. These things, you know, uh, how about this one? A we'll set of old love your friends and neighbors and do what to your enemies? Hate your enemies. Thank you, Ray, if you're in men's prayer breakfast, he elucidated on that from a rabbi. But I tell you, you got an enemy? Do what? Love them and pray for them. Is that a high standard? Right after he got through saying, hey, you're going to get persecuted and, you know, rejoice. That's hard to do. Okay, but still, you know, love. This is some stuff. Now, I'm going to tell you this. You not only need to believe Jesus is the son of God to try at this but you can't do it on your own you actually have to have the holy spirit <laughs> and you have to have god's grace okay because we're going to end because this is the standard jesus is not is jesus relaxing anything here no he's showing what the real heart is here and wow Do you need to be with Jesus and with a company of like-minded believers helping you, you know, and do you need God's Holy Spirit? Oh my goodness, absolutely. And you know, Jeff, you're right. If at some point you don't feel uncomfortable and challenged to the core, if you just go, yep, I'm all set, I'm doing pretty good, we're definitely not listening. I am challenged. I really am. I need your prayers. You need mine. To be able to try to live this way, and the world is not going to help us, you know, with, you know, with this. And I want, I want to work here at the end here, because Jeff we try, really wanted to make a connection with the things we've been talking about the last few weeks. You know, Jeff commented when he talked about two weeks ago that different ways that, that people approach this and religious leaders and scholars approach this when you read things like this is one, it's completely unattainable and just to show you what a wretch you are. And what a sinner you are. Okay. Got that covered, didn't it? But that's superficial on that. Or, on the other hand, it's some universal, you know, uh, it's for special categories of people like priests or family group leaders. The super Christians, which hopefully years ago we kind of put that one to bed by just reading the scriptures. If any man would come after me, Luke 9, Luke 14, etc., like that. But I, I just have to tell you on this, the things you want to see, Jesus fulfills all of this. He is the authority. When, when we say Jesus is Lord, he is Lord of all and needs to be so in our own, you know, in our own lives here. I just want to be able to, to tell you this though. You cannot even attempt to live this way on your own. You, you just, you, none of us can do it. We need more than the law. We need more than just tightening up the law and make it harder or tougher. We need Jesus. We need to follow him, and we need his spirit in us, and we need grace. All of this is not to make all of us walk out the door feeling worse than we did when we walked in. Or it's to, it's to be able to bow down before Jesus with the authority to understand, wow, I've got a long way to go myself. Is this not a few rules that I check the, the boxes here to be perfect as my father in heaven is perfect, but you cannot do that on your own. It's, we are in the spirit, spirit and truth. And so the Romans, this is why you want to read the whole Bible, right? not just stop at certain sections, but this beautiful section. Therefore, in Christ, there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law was powerless to do, any of that you couldn't do on on your own. You never could. Powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. God sent his own son in the likeness in, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who live not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Thank you, God, for your grace. But like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, James, little James, tax collector, let's follow closely. Let's stay in close proximity. Let's listen, grow, continue to be challenged and be so grateful that we're not alone. Now, there is something I just want to leave you for your further study because I I can never look at this passage, especially verse 20, without it ringing in my mind Two other passages very closely related to this that I think we all probably need to take a little bit of time and to reflect and to study and see how this works. You remember? Jesus said, unless our righteousness exceeds that of scribes and Pharisees, we will what? Never. Never. Is that (laughs) definitive enough? Never enter the kingdom of God. And then later in Matthew, Jesus called a little child and he said, unless you change and become like little children, What? You'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then, very similar thing in John 3, 5. Same kind of language. Truly, truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of the water and the spirit. I would just say, and this informed my thinking, as Jeff so often likes to say, as a young minister and trying to figure out what should I emphasize and what's super important in the Bible and the scriptures and maybe what are other things I need to be aware of. But what is the, what do I? what's the bottom line? On this. And here you can see, we got to have a righteousness that exceeds just doing certain laws and checking boxes and being, you know, having our list of stuff that we're okay with. But really take it down to a deeper level and then humility, bowing down before God. I remember Ted Turner said, you know, uh, uh, I'd be perfect if I had humility. <laughs> well, Ted it's a little bigger than that according to Jesus and so Tom and all of us want to check on our humility right we want to make sure we're not getting self-righteous in any kind of way but going all the way and let's make sure we're baptized Tertullian said we like little fishes are born in water when he did his commentary on on this these are all important bedrock things and so I uh, and all of us that get a chance to be able to share here in these lessons, invite you to dig into the Sermon on the Mount so that in Atlanta, as it is in heaven, more and more the kingdom can be lifted up, proclaimed, but stay tight and close to Jesus. Because whatever comes out that door or along the sides, if we stay tight with Jesus and each other, we'll be okay. Relying on His Spirit, let's pray now. Father, we're going to take communion and uh, in just a moment. Thank you. It's just a bedrock of our week. And we, we, we thank you from the bottom of our heart boy, for doing what we could not do for ourselves. Thank you so much for Jesus. It's a challenge and an upward call to be his disciple. We want to be humble about it, but we want to have the spirit of the scriptures. And just pray we'll spend much more time in the scriptures and much more time bowing down before you and most of all though at this moment in time as we get ready to take the bread and the juice that celebrates and commemorates the body and blood of Jesus Christ we submit ourselves to you humble ourselves before you in the name of Jesus amen